you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to episode 59 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for praying for me and my family, praying for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We are so thankful for it. And I'm not just saying that. We are carried by your prayers. Thank you so much for those prayers and support. Before I get into episode 59, I want to encourage you to check out the Fall Brothers' new DVD, Higher Entities. You can either get a hard copy on their website or you can go to Vimeo and rent it or purchase it there. So yeah, it's just phenomenal. I've seen it and man, it's mind-blowing stuff. Go check that out. Well, today we're looking at the last beatitude, what it means to be blessed because we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. We're looking at also how the kingdom of God is unleashed in our lives when Christians face tribulation for the name of Jesus. We'll look at not only what the early Christians believed about that, but how that beatitude was demonstrated in the earliest chapters of the Bible and also how it's demonstrated in the lives of Paul and especially of Jesus, who is the ultimate example of this beatitude. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I really wanna encourage you to leave a rating and review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Uh, That will help others to find this channel and to hopefully have their eyes opened as well to what the earliest Christians believed about these core issues that we face today. Also, in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, and you can find that on Amazon, either a hard copy or a Kindle version. And if it's a blessing to you, please go uh, leave a rating and review there as well. Over the last few years, I've put out several different uh, LPs and EPs, and you can find all of those on my website, philsbaker.com. And right now I'm in the works of uh, finishing up a 10-song album. It's going to be called The Wanderer, and uh, it highlights uh, a few biographical songs on... uh, people like King David and Abraham and Jonah and Paul, as well as several songs that I wrote uh, this summer in Africa and a couple of songs that are kind of older that were never released that I've kind of updated. So please be in prayer for that. Well, like I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about what I say here on Reclaiming the Faith or any of BDK or Justin Fall's work, please feel free to either email me at emailphilsbaker uh, at gmail.com or you can contact BDK at Omega Frequency and we will be more than happy to answer your questions on Ready With An Answer. Well, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on Scroll Publishing's 
uh, CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, uh, which you can find for a mere $5 on that Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Please go check that out. All right, without any further ado, let's get episode 59 rolling. In 195 AD, the Christian apologist Tertullian wrote, With our hand thus stretched out and up to God, rend us with your iron claws, hang us up on crosses, wrap us in flames, take our heads for us with the sword, let loose the wild beasts on us. The very attitude of a Christian praying is one of preparation for all punishment. Why would these early Christians talk this way? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the last beatitude. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That word blessed, makarios, means to extend or make long the grace of God. And so it has to do with this feeling of, of happiness, of joy, because of the recognition of God's grace growing inside of us. And that word persecuted means to aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing a catch or a prize. And we're persecuted because of righteousness. And that word righteousness means what God deems right, what God approves of. So you are being persecuted because you are doing what is right in the eyes of God. You're being hunted down. And it says, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you and insult you, and that word insult means to disgrace or to reproach or mock or curse. When the people are being cursed and mocked, because of the name. And it says, rejoice and be glad for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And what's interesting is when Jesus rebukes the Jews on his way into Jerusalem, he weeps over them because they are the ones that have persecuted and killed the prophets. Jesus says no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem, which would mean, for the most part, those who are truly bearing a prophetic voice in the world are going to bear the most persecution from those who claim to be God's people. Something very interesting to keep in mind. Well, this beatitude Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see this almost toward the very beginning of the Bible. 
in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John is describing brotherly interactions and he points toward Genesis chapter four and the interaction between Cain and Abel. This is what John writes, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Abel was persecuted because of righteousness. As I kind of alluded to in the last podcast about peacemakers or troublemakers, the reaction that one receives when one is truly shining the light of Christ, truly reflecting Christ's nature is like the reaction a parent may get when he or she turns the light on in his son or daughter's room early in the morning to wake them up for school. It is often one of wrath, right? Those who dwell in darkness hate the light. Instead of being a comfort when those who are living in darkness are exposed to the light, they often respond with wrath. And that is exactly what happened to Abel, and it's what happened to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, the gospel writer Matthew is describing the scene when Jesus was arrested and taken away. He writes this in verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ who is the one who hit you? But blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom 
of God. You know, it's really interesting how the first beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. It's interesting how that first beatitude and last beatitude carry with it the same result. The poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. And those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness have the kingdom of heaven. And that harmony, that harmony between the first and the last beatitude is so beautifully described in Philippians chapter two concerning Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Paul writes this, have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself taking on the very form of a bondservant. He made himself poor in spirit and he was persecuted for it. Even being put on a cross, the most shameful death at that time, the death of insurrectionists, the king of kings, being crucified. But that's not how the story ends. Of course, because he was resurrected and exalted, given the name above every name. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus is definitely the ultimate example of those two beatitudes. But we also see this link, this correlation in the life of the apostle Paul. In this next chapter in Philippians, Philippians chapter three, Paul writes this, speaking of Christians first and then about himself. He says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness which is found in the law, I was blameless. You would think, man, that's pretty rich in spirit, but wait, there's more. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted loss 
for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing righteousness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might gain and attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. It's so cool. Paul lists his resume and he says, all of that is rubbish. And this is about as close to cursing as Paul gets in the Greek because he's saying it's dung, it's feces, the best of my best. He says that according to the law, he was blameless. And yet he says it is refuse, rubbish, feces, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. He is poor of spirit. And because of that, he is willing, he desires to know the sufferings of Christ. Why would Paul long to know the sufferings of Christ? Because no one loved him like Jesus. Paul knew that he deserved the worst of hell. He's the chief of sinners, and yet Jesus Christ would choose him. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And yes, absolutely the ultimate example of this beatitude is Jesus Christ because he died. He brought many sons to glory. He's able to ransom us with his blood because he was persecuted. He's able to turn countless people into sons and daughters of the king of kings. The kingdom of God was magnificently and unmatched in the life of Jesus and in the result of his suffering, through the result of his suffering. But I want to show you a really cool passage in the life of Paul where you see the kingdom of God unleashed because he was willing to know the sufferings of Christ. This is in Acts chapter 14. I want to encourage you to turn there. Paul and Barnabas are traveling and they make it to Lystra. And verse 8 says, At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, he was lame from his mother's womb and had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that this man had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And the man leapt up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, 
the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Just um, real quick, there was a, a story in that time, in that area of the world, the people of Lystra believed that earlier in their days, uh, Zeus and Hermes had visited them and the townspeople were not welcoming toward them. And so Zeus and Hermes did some really horrible things to the people. And so they believed this has happened again and they were not going to uh, be unhospitable a second time. And so the people in Lystra responded with tremendous gratitude though uh, kind of misguided, <laughs> severely misguided, they responded with tremendous gratitude toward Paul and Barnabas. And so the people began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. That's verse 12. In verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in the generations gone by he permitted all the nations to go their own ways and yet he did not leave us himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness even saying these things, though, with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Let's just pause there for a minute. So you see, Paul and Barnabas are being peacemakers. They are fearlessly courageously declaring God's terms that will bring the people of Lystra to peace with God. They are calling the people of Lystra to repent. They go right after this false worship. The whole town is based around, you know, Zeus worship, and they are telling him they that this worship is completely wrong, that their lives have been a lie. They are calling them to repent. And what happens as a result of it? Paul gets stoned basically to death. Continuing, verse 20, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. Now, whether they were praying for him or whether God just resurrected Paul or you know, completely healed him, we're not totally sure. The Bible is silent. God obviously did a miracle there. And what is just incredible is this man goes back into Lystra. The people who stoned him see him walking right down their streets. That's just incredible to me. It's just incredible to me. The courage, the love in Paul. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. 
After that, they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So he goes away. He continues to make disciples, continues to call people to repent. And he goes back again to Lystra. You know people know the story now of Paul. You know they know who this guy is. Think of the impact that had on the people in Lystra. And verse 22 says, In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas are strengthening the souls of the disciples there, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And if you continue to read in Acts, when you get to chapter 16, you find out that there was a young disciple there in Lystra named Timothy. That Paul began to take along with him and became a leader in the church at Ephesus later on in his life. Timothy was there. Timothy was there in Lystra. And at the very least, he had to have heard about what happened to Paul. And you know that had a tremendous impact on Paul and Timothy and the entire church because Paul was willing to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Well, like Paul, the early Christians believed in this beatitude. They believed the unmatched power of the kingdom of God was unleashed when they were persecuted for righteousness. This is what Justin Martyr wrote in 160 AD. He wrote, No one can terrify or subdue us who have believed in Jesus Christ over all the world. For it is plain that, though beheaded, and crucified, and thrown to wild beasts, and chains, and fire, and all other kinds of torture, we do not give up our confession. But the more such things happen, the more do others, and in larger numbers, become faithful and worshipers of God through the name of Jesus. I'm going to close with one more quote from Tertullian. He wrote, The more often we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. For who that contemplates it is not excited to inquire what is at the bottom of it? Who, after inquiry, does not embrace our doctrines? And when he has embraced them, who does not desire to suffer so that he may become a partaker of the fullness of God's grace? You see, for the early Christians, the most powerful tool of evangelism was persecution for the sake of righteousness. Do you want to see the kingdom of God unleashed in your life? Pursue righteousness. If you do, you will be persecuted. But remember, the blood of Christians is seed. God bless you.